What is going on everybody and welcome to Rock Video Rental. I am Brandon. With me as always is Caleb. And first off, Caleb, what have you been watching? Uh, well, tis the season. It's uh, football on TV every single day until after Thanksgiving, I think. Rock. So, been watching football, uh, but people probably don't care so much about that. Um, so since finishing Family Guy, uh, I didn't really get around to watching a lot more because I've been uh, working more, but I did watch a little bit of uh, some things with my wife and she's watching The Voice. So, you know, another singing competition, <laughs> big whoop. Um, but another one that she watched that I caught a little part of is, have you ever heard of, I think it's called The Farmer Wants a Wife? Um, I think I've heard of it, but I don't really know what it's about. Okay, it's it's a little bit more interesting than some of those other dating shows. Uh, she's also been watching The Bachelorette, so I've been blessed to witness <laughs> some of that. Um, but the farmer wants a wife or needs a wife or whatever it is, uh, is an Australian show where farmers like basically out in the outback, out in the middle of nowhere, um, who live in rinky dink towns that basically have no one are given the opportunity to meet. I want to say it's like six or eight women, um, and kind of you know whittle it down and see if they find a final someone to date or potentially like get engaged to okay and they do multiple farmers i think it's like three or four of them so it's just a little bit more interesting because it's not um as dumb and dramatic as i feel like the bachelor seems to be from or Bassarette, which her one that I seem to catch from my wife, because there's always drama and competition and they purposely make it like they pump drama into the show. Oh yeah. This one was more straightforward where it's just like, Hey, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, a farmer who doesn't get to meet women, you know, does these uh, different things with having a chance to date people. So it seemed more authentic. I think is kind of the best way to put it. So, <laughs> okay. But that was so the, the so it's the farmer meets six Sheilas. Sure. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's how they say woman in, <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> Blokes and Sheilas out out there with the dangos <laughs> and the bobbies. Ah, <laughs> oh, Austria, eh? <laughs> Um, so yeah, so there's that, but then I watched, uh, one episode, I think it's going to kind of turn into, cause family guy was always the show that would turn on at the end of the day. I kind of watch it kind of maybe zone out a little bit, but I think I'm going to try to watch Rick and Morty. Okay. Have you ever watched that? Yeah, I have. Okay. Cause I watched the first, I only got past the first episode and I know usually you got to give shows a little bit of time, but that first one, I was just like what am I watching? Yeah. It's a weird show. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's currently what's going on. I got a couple, I actually have a, a movie or two that I'm in the middle of watching. So I'll save that until next week when I'm done and can talk about the whole thing. Right. 
What about yourself? You probably have a better list than me. I have quite a bit, but I usually do. Um, we catching like some episodes of Wife Swap because it's just like a train wreck. Uh, that's a good way to put it. I guess TV shows, not too many TV shows, mm-hmm. but um, movies. I guess I've been watching this one on Netflix called Catching Killers. Okay. It's a documentary series. I think it just came out and it's about like the police investigations that went into um, like famous serial killers getting caught. Huh. It sounds like something that like you and your wife would like. Yeah. What was it called again? Catching Killers. Okay. Hmm. It's, it's like a, I think it's five episodes. Is it? So I plowed through a, that in like a day and a half. Is it reality or is it kind of like a, a fictional take on no it's reality okay yeah they talked to the actual like policemen and stuff that were um in the investigation interesting okay and then movies i watched um saturday night fever for the first time <laughs> just because i was texting you and i was watching it i was like i'm gonna watch this because you know, I've always heard a lot about it. It's usually one of those movies that a lot of people talk about as one of the, you know, landmark movies of the time. So, like, I'll give it a watch. And, you know, I didn't see what was so special about it, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of boring. Um, There's dancing. There's John Travolta, who's like 20-something, pretending to be 19. So that's kind of funny. There's fever. Yeah, there's fever. There's disco. <laughs> there's more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of italian guys in it I felt like hey. i was watching a mafia movie or something at one point um then i also watched another first watch for me i watched spies like us rock with chevy chase and dan Aykroyd. That that was pretty decent um i also watched the movie enough with jennifer lopez because <laughs> it's been a long time since i saw that and I watched a few movies on the CED player. I watched Fraternity Vacation, Private Resort, and Mr. Mom. And those were all first-time watches for me. Rock. And then I always like to give a shout-out to a YouTube channel. And lately I've been watching um, YouTube channel Cody Leach. Uh, he's a guy who like reviews movies, mostly horror movies. Uh, he also does video game reviews and stuff, too. He does a lot of movie series, and then uh, he ranks them. He's got kind of a cool like grading system. He's got go out and buy it, stream it, skip it, and I think the bottom one is f this movie. <laughs> 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 so it's it's pretty funny to see what he rates them. And he's pretty fair, and he's got a lot of knowledge, so it's pretty interesting. Um, nice. So, yeah, that's pretty much it for what I've been watching. So, do you want to dive into the movie? Let's do it. Let's do it. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. <laughs> What is so dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. Well, why should he get to skip school when everybody else has to go? 
syphilitic meningitis. He never gets caught. This guy in my biology class said that if Ferris dies, he's giving his eyes to Stevie Wonder. Well, he's very popular, Ed. I recall Central Park in fall. Ferris Bueller, do you know him? Yeah, he's getting me out of summer school. They think he's a righteous dude. Think he'll be alive this weekend? I can see him denying popular beliefs, setting off on some impossible mission. He jeopardizes my ability to effectively govern this student body. He does whatever he wants. You know, as long as I've known him, everything works for him. Whatever he wants. He's very cool. And he never gets nailed. Ferris can do anything. Oh, he's such a sweetie. Wake up and smell the coffee, Mrs. Bueller. It's a fool's paradise. He is just leading you down the primrose path. Matthew Broderick. Bueller. Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's day off. Because life is too beautiful a thing to waste. So the movie of the week is 1986 comedy Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, the plot for this is a high school wise guy is determined to have a day off from school despite what the principal thinks of that. Uh, Ooh, the cast. So scandalous. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? Where do you get off? <laughs> <laughs> the, the cast for this one, we got Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller. Alan Ruck as Cameron Fry, Mia Sarah as Sloane Peterson, Jennifer Gray as Jeannie Bueller, and Jeffrey Jones as Ed Rooney. Uh, this is a movie, like I said last week, that always seemed to be on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I caught bits and pieces of it a lot when I was a kid, and I didn't even have cable, so it was just on regular TV all the time. And... I oh, mean, I think the first time I saw it all the way through, I might have been in high school, or maybe like just got into college. Okay. Um, I had a streak for a while, like in college, where I was trying to watch like every '80s teen movie, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, a lot of them were John Hughes movies because those, those are the big ones. Mm-hmm. But this might have been one of those that was part of that streak. <clears throat> Um, I guess we can get into scenes and stuff. I really don't have much else to say about the beginning of it. I feel like everybody's seen Ferris Bueller, or at least seen like pieces of it. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the I I, I wanted to look it up, but I didn't get around to it. But it seems like this is one of the earlier movies, popular movies that broke the uh the dimension between the actor and the audience. Uh, the fourth wall. Yeah. Yeah. Which was kind of popular in TV shows too, like Saved by the Bell. Um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air did it a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm in the Middle used to do it quite a bit. Yeah. I I was trying to think of like any other earlier movies that were quite as popular as this that did the same thing, but nothing came to mind right away. So. Yeah, I can't think of anything either. But yeah, I um it this movie has so much going on that uh, it wasn't like watching it new again because it's been so long since I've seen it, but even though I've seen it plenty of times, probably like half a dozen times easily, um it's still there's still a lot that kind of, oh yeah, I remember that. 
just because so much happens in this movie and it's kind of surprising how much they go through in such a little time. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about it, um, Wayne's world is another movie that mm-hmm. famously broke the fourth wall. Yeah. Quite a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess one of the best scenes and one of the first scenes in this movie is we get to see Ferris pretending to be sick. So, his parents will let him stay home and he goes like through his rules of everything. Yeah. And you know, he's kind of just telling us directly what he does. Um, you know, he, he licks his palms. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got like clammy hands mm-hmm. and you know, after that we get to see like things he's got rigged up in his room, um, which has been parodied like numerous times. Uh, the first one that pops in my head is the office. Mm-hmm. Where Michael had that mannequin set up on his desk, so if someone walked in, they think he's sleeping, and they're like, "And I remember Pam saying like, so you sleeping at your desk is better than you just not being here." <laughs> <laughs> you just don't get it, Pam. But uh, so he like runs through the whole things of that, and of course his sister is skeptical because he's like winking and smiling at her the whole time. And Jennifer Grey is so great in this movie as just like the jealous kind of bitchy sister. Oh yeah, she nailed it for sure. Uh, so you know now that his parents have left him alone and he's got the day to himself, we see him just doing like some stupid stuff around the house. Um, and then he decides to give like his best friend a call, and his best friend's Cameron, played by Alan Ruck. Who he's a hypochondriac, and you know he's a, he's kind of a worry wart, mm-hmm. and he just he can't let loose. He's always just super high strung, which is the exact opposite of a Ferris anxiety. It's like I I mean every time I watch it, I think how are these two best friends? Like not not saying that they <laughs> can't be friends, but how are they best friends? Because with how Ferris is always doing stuff. I don't understand how Cameron would even be hanging out with him enough to be best friends. Right. And yeah, how Cameron's always just seemed to be annoyed with the stuff he does. Yeah. And like, he almost feels like he's responsible for Ferris all the time mm-hmm. and embarrassed by some of the stuff he does. Yeah. And I'll say this too, a little bit. I mean, I, I always noticed it a little bit before, but this time I think it really stuck out to me where it's just like, <sighs> Ferris is a bit of a douche. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Like, I mean, you're in high school. I get it. I, I, I was a douche in high school. I know it. I admit it. Um, and then you know, you're you're an idiot with your friends and things like that. But there's like a certain limit, a certain threshold. <laughs> and Ferris went past that quite a bit. But just the whole thing on how he acted with. Cameron's dad's car. Yeah. And I'm just He's like, a habitual line stepper. Yeah. What? <laughs> In the like, words of Dave Chappelle. <laughs> that, that is so far past the line. Like all the other things, like I, that, of course, I know we'll get into here in a little bit, but it's just like, you know, the, the lunch things, the skipping class, you know, the faking to be, uh, 
uh, Sloan's parents and all those sorts of things. It's just like, okay, you know what? Dumb kid stuff. But then taking that car, it, it, any other car, you know, any other parent's car, no big deal. But I mean, high school kids aren't that stupid where they don't recognize like how big of a deal that car was. Right. Yeah. Well, Cameron even said a few times, like he loves this car more than he loves me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's got this, it was a 60 something Ferrari mm-hmm. where they only made like a hundred of them or something like that. Uh, like I couldn't, I, 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 if I had a friend like that, I, and he attempted to take that car, I would have probably physically harmed him so that he was unable to take that car. It's <laughs> choking about <laughs> like, you know, twist an ankle, no, break a finger, <laughs> stop it. Oh gosh. Uh, so now that like Ferris finally talked Cameron into, um, hanging out with him for the day, they set up like this plot you, you talked about, um, Pretending to be Sloan's parents, mm-hmm. probably like one of the <laughs> probably one of the better or most uh, memorable and uh, best parts of the movie. Yeah, they call the principal and like explain. They say that Sloan's grandmother died, and they're gonna have to come pick her up. And the whole time, it's Cameron doing this voice, and <laughs> it's it's pretty hilarious because. You could tell like Ferris is like trying to egg him on and Cameron's getting farther into it. And the whole time the principal is just like, I know like this Ferris Bueller because I know he's behind this. Like he's gotta be behind it. And the scene before that we see him talking to Ferris's mom about how many absences he's had and saying that he doesn't take his academic career seriously seriously and like nine absences yeah he's a slacker and everything and he's now he's just basically trying to catch ferris red-handed so you know he's trying he's like talking back to cameron pretending to be sloan's dad and then ferris calls in and uh he finds out like, oh, maybe this isn't Ferris Bueller. And then he starts like apologizing and everything. And it's it's pretty funny. And <laughs> Cameron drops one of my favorite lines in the movie. He's like, Pardon my French, but you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Which every time I try to do that voice, I end up just sounding like elf. And then it makes it even funnier. <laughs> uh, so they end up getting slow to go, and Ferris shows up in the um Cameron's dad's Ferrari that we talked about and he's like off from a distance so um Ed Rooney can't like see who he is but it's really awkward because they have like this really long kiss and, <laughs> and Rooney's just like oh so that's how they are in that family <laughs> <laughs> so now they're on like a trip to Chicago and like they go through all this crazy stuff that would never happen in real life, but you kind of believe it just because of how charismatic and off the wall that Ferris is. Uh, he's definitely one of those guys that I think everybody has the 
the friend that can kind of like sweet talk people into doing things that they wouldn't normally do for other people mm-hmm. that are they're just kind of like smooth be, and they can get away with things because you know they might tell lies and make up stories and stuff but they're so convincing that you believe them oh yeah yeah and it, you know we get to see that when they go to lunch at the like the super fancy restaurant where he says he's um the sausage king of chicago okay this is the one that bothered me the most (laughs) do you do you know why why is that this was the easiest one for him to get busted with Mm -hmm. because all that guy had to do was say okay for reservations we need you to provide some form of id yeah but it was the 80s (laughs) but still like that was it that was it driver's license that's it so that that one, I was just kind of like, okay, I get it, but also nobody could probably pull that off, right? So, but I mean, it, it of course it was the '80s, and it's just like if anybody tried something like that back then, they probably would just rolled with it anyways, right? Um, from then on, they go and you know they go like to the art museum. We get like a big montage in this. They go to a baseball game, and this whole time, like, uh, Principal Rooney is just like barely missing uh, Ferris in different things. Like, they have the baseball game going in the background, and Ferris catches a foul ball, and he's jumping up and down and celebrating, and um, Ed Rooney's got like his back to it. <laughs> and then, uh, we get the the group of friends in a taxi that goes right by Ferris's dad, and they like they make eye contact, and the dad looks away, and he does like a double take, and and Ferris hides. Ferris and Cameron hide, and it's just Sloane sitting there. That's the one that I thought they would have got caught in because, like, how does Ferris's dad not recognize his son's girlfriend? Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, it seems like they're pretty serious. Hmm. So. Seems like his dad would have met her before. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she was wearing big sunglasses and part of her face was a little covered by the cab, but that, that too would have been one that he probably in reality would have gotten caught. Yeah. And then we get probably the most ridiculous thing of the whole movie is when he jumps into a parade and yeah. performs a couple songs. <laughs> he, he performs Don Cachet and, um, Twist and Shout. Yeah, Twist and Shout. I was trying to think of the name of it. Um, and of course, everybody goes crazy and thinks that he's amazing and all that. And Cameron's freaking out because he thinks they're going to get caught. And... <laughs> so, and then they get they get back and they end the day with just like hanging out at uh, Cameron's house. Isn't it Cameron's house? Um, Somebody's house at the pool. Maybe it was Sloan's house. It could have been, but um, we get the weird scene of like Cameron thinking about killing himself. Well, yeah, that was because they realized that the the um, garage workers took the car for a joyride. Yeah, and it had tons of miles on it, so they propped it up and put it in reverse to try to roll the miles back off it. And they're like, oh, the miles aren't coming off. Yeah. That he's like, I'm just going to deal with it. I'm just going to face it. 
and the car ends up like dropping on the ground and then blowing out the back of the garage and into the woods. Yeah, into the ravine. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. Cring- I cringe every time. <laughs> right. Uh, they got hate mail about that for this movie. And I'll, I'll get to that in trivia. I, I got something about that. Oh gosh. Um, well, um, the, the th- interesting thing I kind of thought about with that this time around was it really almost felt like the movie could have been more about the, um, uh, what, what's the kind of way I want to phrase it more about the growth of Cameron yeah um then about ferris i mean obviously it was all about ferris but it the way he reacted to that scene and the whole like oh this is who i'm gonna be i need to grow up you know i may be going off to college i need to own up to it and you know i'm sick of being scared blah 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 and he goes Mm -hmm. on a spiel which you know is is the touching one of the more touching moving parts of the, the movie um it Honestly, you could have almost ended the movie there and been like, hey, you know, Ferris had his day off, but Cameron was able to, you know, grow as a person. Yeah. But then that would have been too serious. <laughs> <laughs> right. Then we didn't get to see the end of um, Principal Rooney trying to, to catch Ferris red-handed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he shows up at his house. And he gets chased by a dog, ends up like breaking into the house, and that's when um Jeannie comes in and like kicks him in the face multiple times. <laughs> uh and you know, he like staggers out and everything, and that's when uh Ferris realizes what time it is and he's like in a race to get home. Of course he runs right next to his dad driving and his dad doesn't even notice him. Another double take. Yeah. <laughs> and we get the classic slow motion jump into his yard. <laughs> that par- has they parodied on Family Guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, I probably could have got there a lot faster if I wouldn't have done this in slow motion. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, he goes to open the door and um, Ed Rooney's standing right there. He's gonna like turn him in and all this kind of stuff, and yeah, that's when he ends up getting when Jeannie basically like sticks up for Ferris. Yeah, she had her uh, epiphany because all oh, thanks to Charlie Sheen. Yeah, Charlie Sheen played a a drugged out idiot in a police station which he played boy is, in the police station which is charlie sheen these days dude i feel like honestly <laughs> foreshadowing that they just went to that they're just like okay we're gonna go to a police station we're gonna shoot this scene and then they go to the police station and charlie sheen's just there and so they're like hey do you want to be in our movie <laughs> duh winning <laughs> oh my gosh oh man yeah and then it kind of ends with uh you know mr rooney having to ride back to school on the bus yeah yeah and then uh ferris having the last line talking to the camera oh yeah 
Um, probably the, one of the famous lines in this movie we didn't talk about is, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. Mm-hmm. Which has been quoted lots of times. It was once quoted by Barbara Bush. <laughs> oh my word. George W. Bush's mom. That's funny. As <laughs> uh, some speech she gave, I can't remember what it was for now. I don't know if it was at a convention or something. The Republican National Convention or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, so favorite scenes? Oh man, uh, so much you could go through. I mean, I already talked about the um, the fake call into the principal's office. Um, the, uh, I always, I mean, I, the art museum in the Chicago art Institute museum is one of my favorite art museums I've been to. So I always appreciate that scene. Um, I, um, even though like, I don't know, it's not really much to it, but, uh, the parade is always a classic, um, I, you know, the scenes with Jeannie are, I think, a little underappreciated mm-hmm. just because they support her character so much. And just like the, um, as you said, angry older sister, you know, trying to catch her younger brother because he gets away with everything. Yeah. And uh, so the stuff, especially with uh, at the high school, that was kind of a funny thing, too, that we didn't talk about is just how uh, Ferris is so popular that he's homesick, that everybody's like blowing it out of proportion. Like he needs a kidney and all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah, save Ferris. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like driving genie nuts at that point. Yeah. And then probably, I think the best part with that whole thing is when she was talking to Charlie Sheen and he's like, oh, I know who you need to talk to. And she's just like, if you say Ferris and he's like, oh, you know him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so great. Um, I think some of my favorite scenes that are kind of overlooked are just like the interactions between Ed Rooney and his secretary, Grace. Oh, yeah. and. Uh, Grace played by was it Edie McClurg or something like that her name is yeah Edie McClurg yeah um, she is in, in so many John Hughes movies <laughs> like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles she's in that um, yep. I mean there's, there's she's like in every single one of them pretty much uh, but <laughs> when she's when he's talking about Ferris Bueller and she She's like, oh, he's extremely popular. It's like she's naming like the wasteoids, the stoners, the the geeks, the nerds, the jocks, <laughs> the, the sluts. They go on and on. They think he's a righteous dude. <laughs> like that always just cracks me up. But then like the times that she'll say something just blatantly obvious, and then like Rooney just gives her that side eye look. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. you are an idiot. <laughs> oh, it just cracks me up. Um, well, Rooney is one of those characters where perfectly cast. Yeah. And, I mean, those those things, not, not villains. We had a conversation about, like, some of the best villains. But, I mean, he's not, he is the villain of this movie. But yeah. just, like, perfectly cast 
bad guys like uh him in this the principal in breakfast club and then mm. things like shooter mcgavin you know just those characters that were fit so well in uh in comedies uh comedy slash dramas like this where i mean sometimes they i i think they get overlooked just because they're the bad guy yeah yeah, the casting of Jeffrey Jones was like perfect. I mean, Jeffrey Jones kind of a piece of crap now, if you know anything about him. <laughs> um, yeah, we won't get into that, his personal <laughs> life. But at the time of this movie, it was a, a great casting. And yeah, he did the, the role really well. Um, the acting all around in this movie is really solid. Mm -hmm. I really can't think of anybody who's rough in it yeah like even even the small roles with like the garage attendant and the other high school students and the parents yeah like and even sloan like this was mia sarah like one of her first movies mm -hmm. and she's pretty solid in it i mean she doesn't have very many lines but yeah but when she needed to convey emotion without being extremely dynamic she mm -hmm. was able to make subtle differences in her performance to help uh, uh, support what she was trying to convey. Yeah. I mean, Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller, this is like, it was an iconic character. Mm -hmm. And he knocked it completely out of the park so much that I feel like he overshadows almost everybody else in this movie. Um, you know, we mentioned Jennifer Grey as... Jeannie, she did an amazing job. But Alan Ruck as Cameron mm -hmm. is another like amazing character, and he did such a great job with it <laughs> that he gets kind of overshadowed by Matthew Broderick as Ferris. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, well, uh, uh, one thing, too, with still talking about scenes, like when they introduced Cameron is such a funny scene to me. Yeah, where he's, he's laying in bed. <laughs> he's like, I'm dying. And then You're not dying, you're just bored. Exactly. <laughs> Ferris calls him back and he's just like, You're not dying. Get out of bed. Come on. Because <laughs> I, I just watched Wayne's World not too long ago. It made me think of Wayne's World with um you know that you're not dying, you just can't think of anything better to do or whatever it is Ferris says to him. It's when uh Wayne and Cassandra are in the car. And Wayne's like, I thought I had mono one time for like an entire year. I just found out that I was just bored. <laughs> uh, and then I like the part two where um, Ferris is saying, yeah, right now Cameron's probably sitting in his car um, thinking about whether he should come over or not. And then they like clip back to Cameron and he's sitting in his car and he's like, He's like, I have to go. If I don't go, he's just going to keep calling me and calling me and calling me. <laughs> he's like, no, I won't do it. Then he gets out of the car, walks off, and the camera's like still on his front seat. And then you just see him come back around the back of the car and in. <laughs> it just cracks me up. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because there are su such subtle things like that, for instance, they didn't need to have that right but they put it in there and it was just you know it was perfect it was the perfect amount it wasn't too much it wasn't too little 
you know, it got the point across and then they moved on. Yeah. Um, you know, since we're doing Hughes month, there's some things I noticed that were similar with this and uncle buck, uh, some of the camera shots, like when Jeannie walks in and they kind of like shoot her from her waist and then kind of pan up a little bit to her face. And then she's just got like this irritated look on her face. <laughs> um, they did similar things with Tia and uncle buck. And then I was also thinking of the interrogation scene between miles and buck the the you know the quick cuts back and forth and there's mm-hmm. a lot of the that in Ferris Bueller as well um i don't know i think probably my favorite scenes are right at the beginning where he's explaining how to get out of going to school and then like the whole routine of getting ready in the morning which has been parodied plenty of times too and i think Matthew Broderick even came back and did it for a commercial one time that sounds about right yeah uh, I guess uh, this movie's been mentioned so many times in other movies and TV shows and one of them that really stuck out to me this time was um, and I know you probably heard it before from New Girl where Jess is saying how she doesn't really care for Ferris Bueller because she feels bad for Ed Rooney because he's just trying to do his job <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that, but that's hilarious. It, she kind of just mentions it in passing. Uh, you know, if I haven't watched that show, like, Do Girl, like, probably four times all the way through, I wouldn't even have thought about it. Okay, but here's the thing. Ed Rooney was not trying to do his job. He was trying to go above and beyond. <laughs> yeah. Which was unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely had a, a vendetta. But, uh. So we we talked about the acting is really solid. Um, a lot of the dialogue is really good, um, and it, you know that goes goes hand in hand with the writing as well. But something we always seem to forget to talk about is soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one's got a lot of really good songs in it. It's um, got a lot of '80s classics in it. Um, I guess the first one that pops in my head is. Oh yeah, by yellow. <laughs> Depopo. <laughs> Definitely. Oh man, honestly, it's kind of an interesting thing. What's what do you think is more? Oh, is it's got to be Twist and Shout is probably more recognizable for this movie, but De Bao Bao is so iconic <laughs> that I every time mm. I hear it, I think of this movie. Yeah, and uh, we say Day Bao Bao, which, <laughs> which is what they called it in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, and then there's Love Missile F111, which by um, Sig Sig Sputnik. Um, it's one of those songs that, like, you don't know by name, but if you hear it, you're like, oh, it's that song from Ferris Bueller. <laughs> They want to go shoot it up. <laughs> it's got like a lot of weird noises and stuff in the background. Um, and I guess Donka Shane is saying twice in this. You know, he sings it um, in the shower and then during the parade scene as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. That seemed kind of like a, an odd 
choice but i mean i i get it he was on like a, a german float i think it was or yeah in the parade yeah oh man so i guess do you want me to get into trivia and facts like because i got quite a bit let's do it i f- i feel like there would be a lot for this one yeah this is one of those movies where i had to like cut back on some stuff and i guess you know a lot of it's because there's a whole bunch on imdb and then i watched um like the making of this movie mm. and i listened to the rewatchables podcast about this um so we're talking about the parade scene so during the parade scene uh several of the people seen dancing including like construction workers and a window washer they originally had nothing to do with the film they were just simply dancing to the music being played and john hughes thought it was funny so he told the cameraman to like keep recording them yeah i i i believe that yeah so Ferris's parents, who are played by Cindy Pickett and L- Lyman Ward, um, they actually married in real life after the sh- shooting of this movie. Really? Yeah, but they were later divorced in 1992. <laughs> yeah, well, that, Damn seems, it, Ferris. that seems like a popular thing in <laughs> movies. Yeah. So the idea of a sequel floated around for years where it was going to be Ferris in college. Or he was going to have a job somewhere. But the idea was dropped. Um, Matthew Broderick felt that the film didn't really need a sequel. And he thought it was more about a specific time and place. He's like, that we'd all like to revisit. And it didn't need to be updated. Mm -hmm. Which I I agree with. I think that is so smart. And so many other movies could learn a lesson. (laughs) But guess what? They made a sitcom about this movie. Oh, uh, well, sitcoms don't count. <laughs> and it was just much. called Ferris Bueller. And it, I think it lasted like two seasons. Uh. So to produce the drugged out um, look for his role as a drug addict in the police station, uh, Charlie, Sheen, <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Sheen actually stayed awake for more than 48 hours before he shot the scene. Yeah, gosh. You know, Charlie Sheen in the 80s, though, he was a good actor and he was very devoted to what he was doing. Yeah. And he just flew off the handle. <laughs> <laughs> so something we didn't talk about, which is another famous part from this movie. And it's one of my favorite scenes too. And I didn't mention it. Um, the scenes in school with Ben Stein, mm-hmm. Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> uh, so John Hughes told Ben Stein who actually had a degree in economics to present an actual economics lecture in his scenes. Um, so nothing aside from the roll call was actually scripted. He was just <laughs> doing a lecture. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so the shot of Ferris playing the clarinet at the beginning was just done on the spot. It wasn't planned. Um, somebody spotted the instrument as part of the set. And Matthew Broderick said that he could play it, which he couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody was just like laughing when he's you know he said he could play it and he just played a bunch of crap and then he said never had one lesson <laughs> uh so mia sarah says that matthew broderick actually was like tickling her feet and knees to get her like natural laugh in the taxi cab scene um yeah so cameron's father's ferrari 
it wasn't a real Ferrari. Uh, because that would have been too expensive to rent one. Uh, three replicas were actually made, and they were, they used MG chassis, okay. and they had just fiberglass bodies. All right, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and they were um, they actually had car enthusiasts writing them hate mail because they thought they were destroying the actual Ferrari. Yeah, I kind of figured that they didn't. Yeah. Um. So, but I mean, like, it's the movie. They make you feel and think that way. But I, I, I could not imagine that they would have really done that. Right. So this one's a little bit of a downer. Um. So even though they played siblings, Matthew Broderick and Jennifer Grey would later become engaged after this movie. Ew. Um. So, but tragically, approximately a year after this, after Broderick filmed. Luxy Blues, and before Jennifer Grey's premiere in um, Dirty Dancing, they were involved in a fatal car crash in Northern Ireland where the passengers of the other vehicle were a mother and daughter. They died in the accident. Yeah. And then did their relationship fall apart after that? Yeah, I believe so. And Jennifer Grey ended up having like a really like bad injury to her neck and it kind of like hindered her career after that so she had already filmed dirty dancing yeah okay yeah it was before the premiere of it gotcha uh so alan ruck who plays cameron was actually 29 years old in this movie oh my gosh (laughs) that's hilarious and he and matthew broderick actually um acted together in a broadway production of Biloxi Blues. Um, so Cameron's Mr. Peterson voice was actually an in-joke imitation of their former director, Gene Sachs. Uh, Ruck said he felt at ease working with Broderick, after, like, often like, crashing in his trailer. Uh, he said, we didn't have to invent an instant friendship like you often have to do in a movie. It's like we were already friends. Interesting. So that... that voice he was doing for Mr. Peterson was a joke that him and Matthew Broderick had making fun of a director they had. (laughs) Nice. So, much during the movie, Ferris laments about not having his own car. However, he owned a synthesizer which in 1984 cost (laughs) (laughs) $8,000. So, most of the license plates in this movie or abbreviations for titles of films by John Hughes. Um, we get Ferris's mom's license plate is a VCTN, which is National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, Genie's is TBC, which is The Breakfast Club. Um, the dad's is M Mom, which is Mr. Mom. Rooney's is 4FBDO, which is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Nice. <laughs> and then. Um, the only one exception is Cameron's dad's Ferrari, um, which is a license plate. It's NRVOUS, which is nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so according to Alan Ruck, um, the role of Cameron, Cameron had originally been offered to Emilio Estevez, and he turned it down. And he said that every time I see em- Emilio, I want to kiss him <laughs> and say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And then he says, Amelia! <laughs> and I was like, Amelia! 
So Rob Lowe, John Cusack, Jim Carrey, Johnny Depp, Tom Cruise, Robert Downey Jr., and Michael J. Fox were all considered for the role of Ferris Bueller. Out of all of those, I think Robert Downey Jr. would be the next best. I think so. Um, I mean, all those actors are pretty good and I like all of them. But yeah, Michael J. Fox would have been weird. Mm-hmm. Didn't it, Did he date Jeannie? Uh, Jennifer Grey. It's possible. I thought I when I was looking at some stuff for this, I thought I saw a picture of them together. I mean, they could have just been friends, but yeah, I th- yeah, Robert Downey Jr. I think would have been the next best. Mm. Um, because he kind of has so that the- cocky, um, persona that Ferris Bueller needs. Yeah, he's he's got the cocky persona and just like the off the wall weirdness at times you know i think of him and um back to school school with Randy dangerfield mm. he's kind of a a wacky character in that and he, i think he could have brought some of that energy into ferris bueller too yeah um tom cruise would have been too much like risky business too much running <laughs> well he does run at the end in slow yeah. motion even he would have been perfect for that part <laughs> it would have been funny uh, if they used Tom Cruise's uh, stunt double for the running scene. <laughs> Wait a minute, is that Tom Cruise? Oh, gosh, that'd be hilarious. Uh, so the first edit of the movie was actually two hours and 45 minutes long. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my Lord, I, I kind of want to see that, though. Yeah. So... Another casting what if Anthony Michael Hall turned down the role of Cameron because he didn't want to be typecasted. Really? Which, yeah, he did some different stuff in his career. Um, you know, after playing kind of the nerdy kid mm-hmm. in, um, you know, The Breakfast Club. I, I think it was 16 good. Candles and, um, gosh, why am I blanking right now? Oh, Weird Science. He's also yeah. a nerd. I think it was good for him to not do it. Yeah. Cause he branched out and did things like out of bounds, which I've talked about before. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I think kind of uh, a different role for him. Yeah. I think Alan Ruck, you know, was a home run for it. And also mm-hmm. I like, I like it when directors use some of the same actors, but then also, you know, switching things up, I think is, um, is good too. Imagine if they would have had Tom Cruise and Goose. <laughs> would have been a Top Gun reunion. <laughs> but Goose died, man. <laughs> Anthony Andrews. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> so the last thing I got, um, this movie cost $6 million to make and made $70 million in the box office. Dang. So it was huge. Mm-hmm. And that's all I got. So grades time. I pulled from IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes like usual. Uh, IMDb, give me an 8.1. 7.8, so you're pretty close. Uh, Rotten, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, critic score, let's do uh, 80%. Dude, you're dead on. Okay. A. Rock. A. Dead about. 
then let's do for audience let's do an 89 percent. 92 oh man i was those were all pretty close yeah that's i think that's the best you have ever done rock uh, what, one thing uh, I want to jump in and say before we kind of like do do the final grades and everything is um, I know it was kind of short, short lived maybe, but I guess I kind of never really sat down and thought and connected the dots on how big of performances Jennifer Gray had, even they, though they weren't always like the leading role. Mm-hmm. But I mean, obviously her and Dirty Dancing and then being Ferris Bueller's sister and also Red Dawn. Yeah. Like she had a heck of a stint there from 84 to 87. <laughs> yeah, she had a big run. Yeah. It was like her, um, Molly Ringwald. Mm-hmm. I mean, she had the biggest run out of all of them because she was like the main character in every movie she was in. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Have you seen a picture of uh Jennifer Gray? Like recent picture? Yeah, she still looks pretty good. Yeah. She I, she did get a nose job and it yes. that kind of hindered her career too. Because she had a very unique look. I know. I was just gonna say that. I was just like I, I don't wanna put it across as a negative, but she totally had a unique look mm-hmm. with her nose. And so when I, I was clicking through IMDB uh Cause I always have that pulled up for the cast and I clicked on her and I was just looking through her movies and I saw some updated images and I was just like, man, she looks so different just because of that nose job. Yeah. She got the nose job. And apparently what I've heard is that she had a hard time getting any other roles because no one recognized her. Cause she looks so much different. Yeah. And they didn't believe that it was her. <laughs> That's because you know, if you look at her um filmography, it kind of peters out there in the in the eighties. Yeah, let me see. Do, 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 do. Even just after Ferris Bueller, like she had dirty dancing and then it just kind of fell off. Mm-hmm. Where she had a lot of TV movies and stuff. Yeah. That's that's wild. So yeah, she's actually talked about that. I saw an interview with her one time where she said that she felt like if that was something she could go back and change, she wouldn't have done it. Hmm. Um, yeah, because it didn't look bad. It was just, it was very distinct, I think, yeah. is a good way to put it. So. Yeah, and Mia Sarah, she was so good in this, and she really didn't do much mm-hmm. after that. You know, she picked up some things here and there she was in time cop with van damme yeah (laughs) which i still think is one of um van damme's best movies like quality wise and even his acting is halfway decent in it (laughs) but um yeah and i mean matthew broderick went on to make the greatest godzilla movie of all time right (laughs) ferris bueller versus godzilla (laughs) oh gosh Uh, so one thing i didn't talk about are um people's ideas about this movie um probably the one of the biggest ones is is ferris real yeah which... or is he just cameron 
Yeah. I mean, I kind of get it, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you're kind of pushing it. I mean, there's too much for Ferris not to be real. Like, because I don't really under, I haven't read all that because I've heard that notion, but I haven't read all their speculations and everything. But the school has Cameron and Ferris as students. Like they call for Ferris Bueller's name and they mention that Cameron uh, isn't there too. Yeah, but is it possible that, you know, if Cameron's... if Cameron is actually Ferris or Ferris is actually Cameron, is it possible that he had the school believing that there was another person there? Uh, the I mean, I, Ferris Bueller? I guess it's possible. But then you have to wonder about Jeannie. Where does she fit in with it? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, okay. If Ferris Bueller was cameron that's more believable because you never see cameron's parents there's no one else tied to cameron cameron's just there yeah um so other than the car and sloan talking to cameron there's nothing really that proves cameron is real i mean there's the whole phone shtick that they do and they actually did it twice they did it with the school and with the restaurant so they would kind of have to say that there would be somebody because, you know, he couldn't be on, uh, Ferris couldn't have been on the phone with two different people at the same time. Because he yeah, was talking to the a- principal and then he called the school at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, people say that Ferris is actually just becomes a creation of Cameron to use to finally like assert himself against his father's cruelty. Yeah. Yeah. In his own hypercritical conscience. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I could kind of see it. Um, but I think the more believable way to, for me is like, if, Ferris is real. Cameron's not, but the, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I'd have to read every everybody's uh, take on it to get a better understanding on how they try to fill the holes. Yeah, another one is too is that none of this stuff ever even happened, and Cameron never left his room. That it's uh... <laughs> another interesting thing to think about. Yeah, that could be, or he got in the car and he just never left. And then he went back to bed and imagined what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So do you want to give your grade and you want me to give mine? Uh, I'll go first this time. Um, man, this one is just, you know, it's, it's an iconic one. I mean, John Hughes has got, you know, plenty of, um, recognizable and iconic movies this one though uh is towards the top of the list and we talked about you know from music to filmography to choice in uh dialogue and the great quotes the great scenes uh and the stellar casting that they had i mean everything just supports this movie looking at this movie and trying to 
trying to take anything away from it on being like things that weren't done well. I mean, you have to nitpick because mm-hmm. I, I mean, just thinking now and being like, okay, what's something that I could say, Hey, you could have improved this. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. Um, so this, this movie is just really great. Uh, it's one of those movies where, um, I've kind of said it before where I used to kind of think about grading from like, if, if could anybody sit down and enjoy this movie? And this is definitely one of those, like anybody, almost any age, uh, even relatively young kids to a certain degree. Um, I'm trying to remember any, uh, if they had any adult uh, preferences, not really so much. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's still funny. Some of the things can be funny to kids or adults and anywhere in between. And so I, I definitely can easily give this a five out of five. Um, it, it's creative. I know there have been a lot of uh, knockoffs. And sure, there were some inspirations from some other things. But this is just a movie that, you know, stands stands alone by itself, easily recognizable. I mean, it was super popular back then and it's always on, it's always been on TV because it's just something easy for people to connect with. So uh, yeah, I can easily give it a five out of five. Rock. Yeah. This was actually the inspiration of one of my favorite episodes of the Goldbergs was Barry Goldberg's day off. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. You, like you said, you know, the soundtrack was perfect for what it was. The acting is great. And really the only things that we nitpicked were, you know, you said the, the lunch scene where they would ask for ID. And I said the, the scene in the taxi where Ferris's dad doesn't recognize his son's girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those are the, really the only things that you can nitpick at, I guess. Um, Yeah, I guess every time I watch it, I appreciate Cameron more and Jeannie mm-hmm. more. You know, mm-hmm. we kind of touched on that, too. Um, yeah, this, this might be the best John Hughes movie. I mean, a lot of people talk about um, The Breakfast Club. Yeah. How The Breakfast Club is the best 80s teen movie. Or even the best teen movie ever. Um, I mean, there's some debate in that, but this might actually be the best John Hughes movie. Yeah. I, that's an interesting debate right there. So, yeah. And I mean, for me, it's a five out of five, just like you, just a movie that I can pick up and watch and enjoy every single time I watch it and pick up new things in it. Rock. But yeah. Any other parting thoughts? Uh, Nope, I I don't think so. I think I'm set. Rock. So next week we'll be talking about kind of a less a lesser known, less talked about John Hughes movie. And actually it's a Thanksgiving movie. That's why I had it planned out. <laughs> and that is the movie Dutch. Uh we'll be talking about that. And Man, we only have what one more week after that, and then November's over. Oh my gosh, I know <laughs> this month is already flying by. Uh, 
Well, we jumped right into it because October is always the weird month for us because we record as much as possible ahead of time. And then we jump right into November and yeah, it's been going super fast. So yeah, next week we're talking about Dutch, which is a 90s movie of John Hughes. So until then, as always, be kind and rewind.